Hi, welcome to Scattered. We're a group of friends from the same church who are serving God in different countries and we're meeting online to chat through books of the Bible, chapter by chapter. We'd love you to join us. Hi everybody, welcome to Scattered. Lovely to have you here with us for the second week in our Philemon little study. Last week we looked at the first 16 verses and we're going to look at verses 17 to the end today. So my first question, ladies, is could somebody pull out for me the themes that run through this little letter? Yeah, so we were looking at a couple of the themes last week, I think, especially thinking about faith working itself out in love and what that looks like. I'd say forgiveness, um, partnership is a big one, I think. Well, the one we're going to focus on this week is partnership. Would somebody like to give a shout at defining Christian partnership for us? So the word that is used here in the Greek is the word koinonia, uh, which basically means um, fellowship, communion, participation, sharing, a sort of uh, a close relationship which is based on a shared reality. So for Paul and uh, Philemon and now Onesimus, that shared reality is union with and in Christ it's that it's more than just a a sort of um, being with each other it's a doing it's a kind of doing life together kind of reality rather than just really just sort of surface relationship I was talking to my husband about this last night and I think he really helpfully said it's a little bit like a business venture. If you go into business with somebody together, there's a joint investment. And in business, that's money, isn't it? But that sort of level of we are really jointly invested in this project together. Yeah, and I think it's it's a really important word to use here, isn't it? Paul is really smart because effectively he's saying, if you really believe the gospel, if the oneness in Christ is really something you believe. If you really think that, um, for example, Colossians chapter three, verse 11, where it says there's no Greek or Jew, there's no circumcised, uncircumcised, et cetera, et cetera, but Christ is all and in all. If you really think this is true, then this is where the rubber hits the road. And this is where partnership um, takes action in your life. I watched the Bible Project who do little videos of every book of the Bible last week and the really helpful way they described it was the ground is level in front of the cross and so the ground is level for each of these three individuals isn't it Paul, Philemon and Onesimus and so that yeah that's just another helpful picture isn't it of um, because of what Jesus has done we're all partners together on an equal footing. And with a shared goal right like partnership leads to something that you both want to happen and in this case I guess I was as I was reading this book I was often thinking of the the partnership between Philemon and Paul but actually you know in this Paul is bringing in Onesimus isn't he like all three of them have an equal partnership with the same goal now even though on earth they have different very different statuses and very different roles it kind of changes your view of partnership, doesn't it? Because there's a kind of e- equality in partnership that isn't necessarily played out well when you have roles like master and slave. Partnerships are great, aren't they? You gain family members. And um, when people come to Christ, you gain family members. But when you enter into these partnerships, it does have a cost. 
you know, Jill, there you were talking about money or time. Uh, for us, it's leaving our home. Um, and so, you know, even as you look at um, in this letter, you can see that there are costs to each of them. The benefit is they've gained a brother in Christ. Um, they're one in Christ. But the, the difficult thing is that there is a cost there. There's a cost for Paul because their brother in Christ, Onesimus, has has sinned he's he's sinned against his master and now there's a cost for Paul but there will also be a cost for Philemon or Philemon there will be a there'll be a um there'll be a cost to him there's already been a financial cost presumably in one way or another because his slave has has gone and if he if he releases his slave to go back to Paul as Paul is requesting there will be a financial burden there and so I think that's the um Again, just going back to that, if you consider me a partner, you know, if you consider consider Onesimus as your partner now, <laughs> he is now your partner, he's now your brother in Christ. Actually, the reality is that's going to cost you. Yeah, it's a letting go, isn't it, of for Philemon, a letting go of status and a letting go of wealth some kind of wealth that he would you know some kind of money that he would have lost um and it's a humbling isn't it but then an sms as well it means going back and seeking forgiveness like he can't run away anymore it's not clear from this book is it that an sms is now going to be a free man yeah i quite like the word obligation you know which is the same as cost isn't it but it's that sense of you there's a responsibility in partnership and it's i think we are we like to think about all the benefits and the nice parts but the obligation is part of that isn't it which makes it such a strong and binding agreement in some ways and so yeah, that, that, that is hard on Anissimus, isn't it? The obligation now oh. that he's a Christian of doing the right thing and going back and facing up to the mistakes he's made. Yeah, like dying to yourself daily is all very nice to say, isn't it? Until you're asked to do something like this and then it's like, oh, ouch. What do you mean by, can you just flesh that out? What do you mean by dying to yourself? I guess for Philemon, the natural pride that could have come with his position and the power that he had and all of those things that he might have considered his by right, he, in this situation, is being asked to give those up. And I guess that, in a way, is a dying to himself, dying to what naturally he might consider his so I guess for us, it's in our marriages or in our relationships with our friends or our children, it's giving up what we believe is ours by right, seeing the bigger picture and letting go of those things. It's hard. <laughs> yeah, but I think it's worth saying, isn't it, as well, that it's good. Like those are hard things to do in the moment, but the benefit to our hearts and the way that changes our character is good, isn't it? And so I think our society mm. struggles with things that are hard in the moment that are going to be good long term. But I just think loads of things in the Christian life are like that, aren't they? That the benefits eternally and even in our, the way that God grows our hearts through those hard choices and those obligations are massive. But it's it's hard to remember that in the moment, isn't it? When you're sucking it up or counting the cost. And we talked last week about how slow Paul was to direct, directly ask anything of Philemon. And he was more concerned with changing his heart. Why then do you think Paul's request, when it eventually comes in verse 17, is so radical? 
And I guess, how does this help us reframe our relationships? I think it's radical on a few levels, isn't it? I mean, firstly, from a social perspective, Philemon, you know, would be expected to punish Onesimus when he gets back. You know, there'll have been expectations. Come on, Philemon, you need to treat him in this way, because otherwise all our slaves will also think that it's okay to run away and come back again. And they'll, you know, you'll raise expectations it's radical because they're saying, because Paul's saying to Philemon, you, you need to welcome him as you would welcome me. I don't think we can understand the mind-blowing nature of what that would have meant for Philemon and his society in the Greco-Roman society that he was in at the time. Yeah, that's great. And he, I guess he's saying, isn't he, spiritual relationships are more dominant, should more define how you think than the culture that we live in and the society that we inhabit. How do you think that's challenging to us then in our relationships now? I just think a kind of in relation to what I was saying before, like it is a laying down of self, isn't it? When somebody wrongs us or when we think we deserve something in a relationship or just generally in the way that we treat other people, like do we really see them as partners and brothers and sisters or are we without realizing it underneath everything are we still invested in our own position and our own status and how is that affecting our relationships with others with friends and with our spouses and with our children like how much do we really think about how Jesus's love for us and how the gospel should mean that we relate to them on a day-to-day basis I think it's definitely something I don't think about enough yeah and I guess the question is is our faith is our Christianity just a, a veneer or just like a, a a varnish on the top of us still maintaining our incredibly selfish, self-centered ways of being and thinking? Is it skin deep or is it heart deep? Um, and that's what that's what Paul is asking Philemon in verse 17. Is is your faith just skin deep is it just talk or or is this real and and I think you're right Mary as you were listing you know friendships children that kind of thing I was like man I don't know that do my friends do my children see that my faith is more than skin deep on a regular basis do they see me laying down my rights do they see me not grumbling do they see me forgiving quickly and without complaint you know, I know some people have more to forgive than others. Obviously, sometimes there is a process. I'm not saying that everyone needs to be like, oh, you're forgiven and everything's okay. Because reconciliation does sometimes take time, doesn't it? It is a struggle at times. Yeah, I've been reading through Corinthians. Um, and you know, uh, chapter 13, where it talks about what love is. Um, I've started memorizing it because I'm like, if this is love and to love is a fulfillment of God's law, like to love is to, obviously I don't love very well, so I don't fulfill God's law. But if I did love like this, like how radical would it be if I never dishonored others and I'm not, I wasn't self-seeking and easily angered and being bitter. And if I always protected, always trusts, always hope, always persevere if I was those things like what what a difference that would make in my family life and my work life and 
in my marriage. I just think what Paul is asking Philemon to do is so radical, but that's what love is. Love is like true love is very radical um, and it changes the world. The other thing that struck me is how much of our identity we find in comparing ourselves favorably to others. So we rate Mm. ourselves, don't we? And this really cuts through that, doesn't it? And says, no, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we are all of equal standing before the Lord. And so much of our culture, and if we're honest, our own hearts, we, we just place ourselves, don't we, as more mature than them or kinder than them. And actually this is saying, no, that's not, that's not the Christian way. That's not the way Jesus teaches us to view others. We're equal, aren't we, and brothers and sisters. And in a way, that's so good for us because it forces us then to look for our identity in the right places rather than boosting our self-esteem through the wrong things. So, yeah, it's a good thing, but hard. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? We have issues as human beings with the difference between equality and equity. So equality being everyone is given the same and everyone is therefore treated the same. Equity being those who have little are given more and those that have some are given slightly less to bring everyone up to the same level and we often have an issue with that we have an issue with some people being given more that's not fair but actually the reality is some of us have been forgiven little some of us have been forgiven a lot and we are all equal in God's sight but we don't we don't like that (laughs) that's not Mm. fair you know we're always we're the older brother aren't we yeah it goes to the heart of we want to be we want to contribute don't we to our salvation and our goodness we think does that yeah it's really challenging isn't it and applies into so many different just as we were talking there's so many different things that you feel that tweak of conscience about don't you so thanks ladies that's helpful just let's just look at the text in verse is 20 Paul says, yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. What do we think that benefit is that Paul wants from Philemon? I was wondering if it's to do with encouragement and how much joy it brings Paul to see Philemon's faith worked out in love. So just hearkening back to verse seven, your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. So I just wonder whether it's along the same lines, like if Philemon takes this massive, radical, loving step towards Onesimus, then that for Paul will be such an encouragement and joy because that's the fruit of Paul's labour, isn't it? In verse 19, Paul says, you owe me your very self, um, It was Paul that brought Philemon to faith. So then seeing that faith basically be a world changer, like flipping upside down the norms of slave and owner, that would just have brought Paul so much joy, I think. That's encouraging, isn't it? But challenging to see the level of joy that rides for Paul on a Christian brother doing, flipping the script, like you say, and doing the um, radical Christian thing. I was challenged by that. Like, do I receive that much joy when I see brothers and sisters making great decisions for the Lord? Basically, it's Paul's whole um, emotional system is engaged, isn't it, in this partnership. And so he finds joy when his partners 
um, walk towards Jesus and he finds deep sorrow when they walk away. When we look at verse 20, what do we see that Paul is saying will bring him the most joy? You know, refresh my heart in Christ. I read something that said, you know, set my heart at rest or give me joy. The thing that he's saying would give him the most joy is, is that reconciliation. That's what he's pushing towards. And when I was reading about this, um, one of the uh, commentaries I read said that that was uh, a reflection of 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 13 as well, where Paul says, uh, in addition to our own encouragement, we were especially delighted to see how happy Titus was because his spirit has been refreshed by all of you. And that was written in the context of um, the Corinthian church and Paul being in conflict. And in the context of that striving towards reconciliation, the Corinthians were beginning to submit to Paul's appeals for reconciliation between that church and himself. And it's that, that thing of, okay, you've been reconciled vertically in your relationship with God through Jesus. Can we now please work towards reconciliation horizontally between ourselves because of and through that reconciliation that's occurred let's work together and that is what's going to give me that's what's going to refresh my heart seeing the truth of what has happened personally work out in our community right at the end of the passage ladies there's this long list in the final greeting section of other people who send greetings Anybody in that list that you know anything about or are those names totally random to you? Anything that's helpful for us in that list? So Mark is mentioned in verse 24. We know, don't we, that Paul and Barnabas fell out big style about Mark. Paul wanted him not to come with them on a missionary journey. And I think Barnabas did want him to come. And so, and that's kind of in Acts, that's kind of left. I don't think we hear much more about that. So it's encouraging to see here that obviously there's some kind of reconciliation that's happened between Paul and Mark. But then sadly, also, obviously, Demas is mentioned. And there is going to be, so Demas is at some point, we know, going to fall away from the church. So there's that kind of of, twinge of sadness as well, isn't there, that sometimes things don't work out and it's not all this happy clappy flowery picture in churches is it there are often things that happen that are painful and they don't necessarily always work out well and one day it will we have that hope don't we that one day everything's going to come together and it's all going to be okay but right now it's not always like that is it yeah, and it's helpful, isn't it, how realistic the Bible is about that, that, you know, Demas didn't get scrubbed out from this list because here he was an encouragement and he was sending greetings. But then, yeah, the end of the story isn't always the one we would choose, is it? But, um, yeah, I find that encouraging that the Bible's realistic about that. Mm. Okay, last question, ladies. I'd love us just to step back a little bit and think about in what ways does this letter as a whole point us to the gospel or point us to Jesus? I think this whole letter um, screams the gospel, really. If you look at the way that Paul lays down his rights, is willing to take on the debt that Onesimus has, has earned, it's him working out that partnership that he has with Onesimus in his life. I am willing to sacrifice. I am willing to take on your debt in order for this reconciliation to occur. And that is what Jesus did for us on the cross. He took on our burden. He took on our debt. 
in order that our full reconciliation with God could take place. Yeah, it made me think of Philippians 2 and Jesus willingly becoming the slave on our behalf, becoming the servant to bring us back into relationship with God. And that sort of, yeah, Jesus willingly laying down the glory of heaven and taking that lowly position to bring us into a relationship with God forever. And yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? It's seeing that sort of the slavery that Jesus took on himself. And just I love seeing in this letter kind of bigger picture the effect that Jesus has in the lives of his people. Like we are a people who can all stand before him as equal, um, equally redeemed and forgiven. And isn't isn't that wonderful that we get to be a part of that because of what he did for us on the cross? Like when he died on that cross, he was bringing together you know male and female slave and free gentile and jew like it's a beautiful massive reconciliation and i just love that i love that you get to see just a little way that that plays out in the lives of these three people uh, in this letter and that's you know multiplied billions and billions of times in the story of christianity um, and that's all made possible through what jesus did on the cross yeah and that's that's the beauty here as well isn't it of the gospel in this book because of um the gospel because of the truth in Jesus because of what he did by living dying and rising again class distinctions race distinctions no longer exist we are all one in Christ and we are all in partnership hopefully pushing on towards the same goal which is um worshiping him through our lives yeah, I, I know Helen's very good normally when we're doing these at saying, where are we in this story? And I guess we're Onesimus, aren't we? We're the slave that has a, our status changed and we have a new identity. And because of Jesus, we are brothers and sisters and um, in God's family. And yeah, that's, a, that's encouraging, isn't it? That we're no longer slaves, but we're free. And that we have brothers and sisters who are willing to fight for us. You know, Paul was willing to, to stand up on... Onesimus's behalf and um, we are not yeah alone. that part going back to partnership it's that that yeah we're, we're in a team aren't we we're in a family and we've got each other's backs mm-hmm. yeah great thanks for listening ladies and gentlemen and um lovely to chat to you ladies see everybody very soon bye bye, bye. bye.